More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. On this episode, we welcome our guests, Maya Prabhu and Dennis Jaffe. Maya leads J.P. Morgan Private Bank's wealth advisory practice for the EMEA region and the international family governance practice. Dennis is a family business consultant, researcher, and acclaimed author. They joined us on the Family Business Voice to discuss their recent case study on the Tavares de Melo family from Brazil. Maya and Dennis explain how the Tavares de Melo family legacy tells a story of constant reinvention and is an inspiring example for family businesses that must deal with changing contexts, personnel, and ownership models over time. Enjoy this episode with Maya and Dennis. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Family Business Voice. It is my particular pleasure today to welcome Maya Prabhu and Dennis Jaffe on the show. Welcome, guys. Thank Thank you. you. Welcome. It's good to see you. First of all, let's talk about the Tavares de Melo case. And let's maybe talk a little bit about what motivated the two of you to even write the case study about them? What did you find so particularly interesting about this family that you felt this merits to be recorded? Maybe Maya, you can tell us a little bit more about the impetus behind this. Absolutely. I mean, I was very struck by this family because they've been together for a hundred years. They were just celebrating their centenary. They had evolved over several generations in their fifth generation now. And they had evolved from being an operating business or having several operating businesses to being a family office and having a whole collection of brands and being entrepreneurial. And yet they are still extremely close as a family. They have chosen to stay together as a family. And I was very struck. This doesn't happen by accident. What is it that they do? What is that magic sauce? Mm -hmm. Secret sauce, maybe. What are the ingredients that went into this? I was very curious to learn about this. Well, I um, met them through uh, Maya and was on a, um, I guess, a, a podcast with them and hearing their story. And to me, it speaks to a worldview, I think, that that advisors and families have to take, that, that a lot of them come to a consultant like me and they say, well, we want to create governance or what sort of governance should we have or should we have a family council? And what their story tells us is, is that, that it isn't one thing, that the governance and the, is a response to a challenge and the family has to define what's the challenge that they're trying to do and then define the governance for it. And what's amazing is this is one family and they have one set of values, but they have totally reinvented themselves almost every generation. And so the question of how they have, what's the continuity if they keep reinventing themselves? What's different, what's changing, and how does that happen? And uh, it was such a beautiful example that I said, wow, this is something that um, would really be useful to other families to be able to hear about their story and their experience. And I think it absolutely is. And when you read the case study, it's very clear that 
Many of us as family enterprises think we recognize ourselves in that situation that with every generation, there's a different set of challenges in the, you know, the context of either your industry or of the family that come about. And you actually speak in the case study, I believe, of like the four major shifts that the family experienced throughout its history. Which one of these shifts maybe did you find the most impressive in their history? Like which transformation did you find the most fundamental? And what about this family made them successful in adjusting to those situations every single time, in your opinion? After many, many years of the three brothers working together, one of them decided they wanted to leave and they wanted to take their peace and they wanted to go elsewhere. One thing that really struck me is how they handle this. And I think it really spoke to two things that really sit in their culture. Number one is they're very pragmatic. If things come up, and this is part of, I think, their business evolution as well, if opportunities come up, if problems come up, right, roll up your sleeves, what are we going to do about this kind of pragmatic problem-solving approach? And the second was, I think, on the emotional side, while it was sad, they were very keen to be fair to the brother that was going to ensure that he had a good business to continue to go to, to run on his own, whatever he chose to do. And to say, we still love you as part of the family and it would be done without rancor. And this is how values are tested in a family. Family has values and they're very easy. uh And then all of a sudden something happens. In this case, somebody wanting to leave the business. And um, this is where I don't want to say a lot of families, but but families are, are sometimes leave their values behind and, and their emotions take over. And in this case, the value was collaboration and the value was um, we're, we're going to we're going to be fair to everybody. And that value was in everybody's mind, no matter what feelings they might have had, no matter how much hurt uh, they might have had. They really kept that front and center. And, and each of the transitions that this family uh, has gone through, they've really gone back on their value that we respect everybody, we're fair to everybody, and we collaborate. And and those values are what animated the family and made them really uh, was behind all of the choices that they made. There's a very notable quote from one of the family members uh, stating that the business must come before the family for the family's sake, basically, because if you ensure the continuity of the business, you safeguard the well-being of the family, which is a very typical first-generation founder's mentality, I would say, that we see often in the first, maybe second generation of a family enterprise. Now, 90 years down the line, Tavares de Melo actually sells its operating business. What happens to that kind of a mindset in a family when operating business becomes family office. So how does that translate? How do you explain that sort of like, you know, after that move to the family office, that family sticking together like that? How do you explain that? There's a lot in the literature about, are we family first or are we business first? And people are people and they have complex motivations. And I don't see a family and I don't look at a family business and say, aha, they're family first, they're business first. And in this family, like in most families, they were concerns about the family. They don't want to hurt the family. They don't want to do anything destructive, but they also 
wanted to have a business. And, and, and as they go from you know, like, you know, three brothers to seven brothers to you know, and a sister to 27 to, you know, 60, they need to bring in more capital. And so to me, it's always a both hand. It's never an either or. And, and we get ourselves into, we tie ourselves in knots when we say business first or family first. And, and in this case, they were saying we need to respect the family. We're, it's a complex world and we have to respect the family. We want to be close. We don't want to hurt each other and we want to have a, a good business. I think this is another thing uh, true to the culture of this family that I think is important for everyone is they offer the freedom to everyone. You can come and invest your money with the family office construct that we are creating or you can do your own thing. No problem. Mm -hmm. No rancor, no judgment. It's your totally your personal choice. And in that, they really provide freedom and autonomy to people, which they then autonomously choose to exercise in staying with the family, because it kind of makes sense. It doesn't feel like they're being forced together. So that's another thing I noted, Dennis. Do you agree with that? And I think that's another example of a both-end choice is when the family business is sold, there is a choice point for the family. Everybody now looks and say, well, I, I can get this big check and live my life and concerned about family, but my family, my household, not my cousins and my brothers, or we can do something together because we, we have a history, we have a legacy together, and it's a choice. And again, it's not an either or choice. And in the case of the Tavares de Mello family, they were able to say, let's do both. Some people want to go off on their own. They have their own philosophy, their own investing style, but we can do wonderful. We have a wonderful network. We are wonderfully well-known. We have a great kind of a base of opportunities. Let's create something together. And instead of a family office with one financial entity, one financial approach, they created a marketplace. And this is awesomely flexible because um, it means that all kinds of opportunities come in. So if you're a family member, you're not going to miss a meeting because who knows what somebody's going to bring in. And so this keeps them together and keeps them excited and keeps them motivated. But then you are making individual choices. You're saying, well, I don't want that risk. <laughs> I really value what this company is doing and I want to be part of it. And it's a wonderful thing where they're together, but everybody's an individual. So people are not being pushed into a shared philosophy that may not work for them. Would you say, Dennis, that you just mentioned a sense of like, we're, we're trying to force people too much under one umbrella, like sort of like constricting them under that value set that you described? When the family business field was formed, there was this thing, and it's kind of like, I, I compare it to marriage counseling, when marriage counselors said, we have to save the marriage. And then the family business field came about and said, we have to save the business. We can't sell the business. Some almost implied that if you sell the business, that's a failure, but it isn't. There's a strategic time to sell the business and there's a time when the business matures and the, you know, you need reinvestment or something. So that, that's a choice that every family makes. And, and when I studied 100 year families, what I found is that there's always a time in the second and third generation when you have to question the business and families that hold on too long are often very sorry because they miss an opportunity. And, but when the business is sold, this is a choice point for the family and the people that were the owners are usually an older generation. And then as in the Tavares de Mello family, there's a younger generation and they're beginning to look at each other. Do we want to work together? Hey, we've grown up together. We share values. 
we like each other. We're all smart. We're all um, you know motivated. Let's do something together. And then they, they reform. So to me, the sale of the business is a great opportunity for the business to reform, for the younger generation to make their preferences known, to create a new kind of organization, to diversify, to be socially responsible. And um, the families that, that say, wow, let's open up, let's explore, let's learn together are those that really uh, succeed. And it isn't just let's, you know, let's form a family office. Mm -hmm. It's what kind of family office do we have and how do we want to be, make this part of our lives? And for one family that I was speaking to, I mean, in a similar vein, they were saying, what has made us successful so far in what we've achieved? And when we look ahead and we look at the world ahead, what are the challenges that we can see and anticipate? And therefore, what would we want to do together? What will change? What will evolve? What will we keep from what, we, what has made us successful so far? And ultimately, there was a purpose to our business. We were providing employment, making products. Now that we have this wealth, what is the purpose of this wealth? What binds us together around this? Money is a means to an end. But what is it that we want to achieve together with this? What is it going to mean to us and to the communities we care about and all other stakeholders that we might consider? So I think that sort of deeper recontracting is actually quite a stimulating and inspiring exercise, I think, across generations. You both come from a very strong governance expertise and governance background. So to come back to governance, like very often, I think, as family enterprises, we maybe see governance as something that is actually brings more rules and rigidity to something as opposed to what it is supposed to do, I know, in your eyes, which is actually to give that this kind of flexibility to a family. So what part of governance is going to help a family actually to manage this kind of a transition successfully? And how does the role of governance change between family business and then family office? So just to get started on that, I think after all these years, I think my favorite and what I repeatedly see is the successful part of governance is spend time together as a family. Have an annual family holiday, family rituals, family traditions, spend time together as a family. Why? Because we know each other, we enjoy spending time together, we trust each other. And then all these other conversations, should it be a family office, should it not, who's in, who doesn't want to, who's like, whatever, all of these things become much, much easier. So that would be my top one. Mm -hmm. Add to that the, the idea that it's not one conversation, that, that families get all twisted up about, oh, should we invite the married in? Um, should we uh, have young, young next generation people there? Who should be in the conversation? And really, the family has to have several conversations. There can certainly be an owner and an elders conversation, but the younger generation sometimes has to get together and say, well, do we want to be together or, or do we have energy to go our own ways and, and have a looser connection. The connection about family first, business first. If it's a both and conversation, you should have a family conversation about what do we want to do as a family? What do we want to be? Do we want to have a family vacation place? Do we want to have family traditions? What's our history? How do we remember the business that 
that we're now selling? How do we want to be known? And there's a family conversation, but then there's an owner's conversation and a wealth conversation about what do we want to do and how do we, what are our, our financial goal and what kinds of things do we, are we good at? Governance is really the traffic rules and the, uh, and the, the different entities that make it work because otherwise it'll be very chaotic and things won't get done and things won't get decided and things won't get completed mm -hmm. and projects won't take place unless there's uh, oversight and roles and responsibilities and accountability. And those are the things that make up governance. So governance is not, you know, just a set of onerous rules, but it's really a, a way of organizing a business that has an entity that has a family members and, and all kinds of different roles. Absolutely. And so having spent time together, then you need to organize the decision making. And I would say a family council, a family board, a family forum, whatever terminology people like, some group, which could be if it's a large family, people that are nominated or volunteer to be on that group, whatever the, their own process is. If it's a small family, I work with many that are first or second generation. It could be the parents and their children are on that group that say, right, there are some of us that are working in, there are some that are not. This is, we're going to meet once a quarter and we're going to share information and we're going to make decisions. Where challenges arise is, for instance, people show up thinking they're going to make decisions and other people think, no, this is just to share information. Mm -hmm. So then there can be frustration. So being very clear about what is the purpose of our meeting and what do we hope to accomplish through this? Who's going to be a part of it? I think can really help with the smooth running of the family, just and as we need for any kind of team that works together. When we come back just uh, towards the end of this conversation to where we started with Tavares de Melo, what always really fascinates me about a centenarian family legacy is if you look at how many historical moments a family like that survives. And if you think that, you know, Tavares de Melo was founded in the 1920s and the early 1920s. And if you think about everything that's changed in the world up until this point, everything that they've survived, everything that they've sort of like been able to absorb or use to their advantage, that's remarkable. Today, we're looking back at the first, almost at the first quarter of this century, and things seem to have become even wilder, basically. <laughs> things have to <laughs> sometimes feel like a perpetual roller coaster ride, really, that we're all on, and not the kind where your facial expression stays relaxed, the kind where it goes like, like this all the time. Okay. So my first question is, are we expecting more families having to transition out of operating businesses towards these more flexible models also because of force majeure? So because we know that certain industries will disappear, we know that certain industries will not be viable options anymore. That's the first. And secondly, in your opinion, is it actually going faster? Are things actually moving faster? Are things actually different? Like, you know, because you talked to the Tavares de Mello and you looked at that case in the early 20th century. I mean, is this century truly faster and more uncertain than what they faced at the beginning of the founding of their business like 100 years ago? What's your view on that? First of all, I don't think anybody will dispute we are in an era of higher volatility and more great, vast changes than ever before. That uh, is unarguable. So the question is, what is the role of a unified family? And this is where I have a, an opinion 
that motivates me in my work. And my opinion is, is that in this uncertainty, since there are a few certainties, one of the ones that we can depend on is the extended family. And sometimes families that sell their business and have a lot of capital are saying, wait a minute, I can lose it in an instant. I don't have anything, anything. I don't really have a clear idea of what, what to do with it. Let's pool our knowledge and, and work together and get experts and, and do something together. So I believe that due to the uncertainty and due to all the change, there is more motivation for families to, to create something like a, a family office structure to work together because there's safety in numbers. And uh, as they say, you know, in the kind of the metaphor, the bundle of sticks, one stick break, that's a lot of risk. All the sticks together, we can really do something special. And I think that's um, the legacy that families now are discovering, that, that they have something special and it really will aid them in this time of uncertainty. So that's my soapbox comment. And I think that also, whilst there are many challenges being thrown up with, as you say, everything is going at breakneck pace, things old truths are being broken and new things are coming up. I'm seeing more and more families saying, where are the opportunities here? Mm-hmm. And this is one of the hallmarks of successful family ownership is that constant scanning of the horizon and looking forward, their adaptability, their looking at all these new opportunities. And of course, I mean, you look at all the fields around technology, sustainability, healthcare. I mean, there are food production. I mean, there are many opportunities that are being thrown up. And so there are almost many families that I work with that are looking at the two dimensions, which is how are we running our existing operations or we're getting rid of them or we are or we don't want to be in them because we don't think from our values that it's right to continue being in them and we're looking at new opportunities so and the two talking about the and then which is what we started with the two can exist together for some time as the situation evolves and therefore i would agree with dennis i mean why i'm passionate about my work is i think family ownership is a force for good and Look at the Tavares de Mello family. What they have is a tradition of values that everybody lives by, not just words, but real deeds, collaboration, respect. And they really trust each other. And the new generation grow up and they build trust. They get to know each other. They build trust. So there is incredible resources in the family that are intangible. And if they don't work together as a family, they just won't be there. And I think that Tavares de Mello illustrates the special things that a family can have that can um, make incredible value in a world of great uncertainty and great risk. Thank you very much, both of you, for coming on the Family Business Voice and for your valued opinions and advice. I know that everyone feels like they want to jump into the picture. They want to be that bundle of sticks. Like, you know, we're all going away with those beautiful analogies in our minds. So thank you very much, both, for joining Mary us today on the show. Mary Poppins the bundle of sticks. <laughs> Mary, be a bundle of sticks and join Mary Poppins enjoy in the, the picture. Enjoy I think, the story. Uh, jump in the I think story. this is a very picturesque episode of this podcast. And thank you very much, both of you, for joining us today. Thank you, Ramya. Thank you, Dennis, for this conversation. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.